0: Have you ever dreamed of living in another country? I'm not talking about an expatriate life where you basically hang out with other people from back home. That's cheating. I mean, actually embedding yourself in a foreign culture and going native. That's what Lucy Pepper did. Lucy grew up in England, but she's lived in Portugal for most of her adult life. She insists she's not an expat, but an immigrant. And I get it. It's it's like when you meet somebody who says they're from San Francisco or New York, And then later you find out, well, they really live in Nevada or Poughkeepsie. And you're like, well, so not really. All right, maybe it's not really like that. But anyway, I get the distinction. Lucy is not your typical expat. She's fluent in Portuguese. Most of her friends are Portuguese, and she really lives in Portugal. I want to tell Lucy's story because it hits on a subject I've been thinking a lot about lately, which is how do we find the place where we're most at home? I'm Barbara Paulson, and this is Midway. This episode is about breaking free from places or people or roles that don't feed us anymore. It's about what it takes to stay true to our dreams and how hard it can be to feel at home with ourselves. So, here with Lucy Pepper is my guest on the Midway podcast. Actually, can you introduce yourself, Lucy? Oh, okay. Well, I'm here with Barbara in a beautiful little flat in Lisbon
1: while she's staying here. And I live in Lisbon. I've lived here. I've lived in Portugal for 20 years. Wow, 20 years. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't feel like it. I am an artist and writer and designer of motion graphics and things. Portugal is my favorite country in the world. I don't need to travel because I spend my life just working this place out
0: I met Lucy while my husband Tio and I spent six weeks in Lisbon we were sort of testing out what it would feel like to not be tourists but to really live in another country, more on that in another episode. I'm wondering if you have any of this sense because Portugal and specifically Lisbon is so hot right now mm-hmm. um, so many tourists coming here everyone I talked to in the United States says oh you're going to Lisbon, I'm going there and I'm wondering if you, as somebody who's lived here so long, has this like, what? (laughs) You guys are like discovering my place. I feel exactly like that. Lucy can't help but feel a bit proprietary about her adopted country, because she fell for Portugal before it was cool. Now it's like way too easy to fall in love. So people
1: come and say, oh my god, I love Lisbon, oh my god. I love your
0: American accent. (laughs) Uh, I think I just said that. Oh Oh, my my God, God. I love Lisbon. (laughs) (laughs) Are you making fun of me? (laughs)
1: And all Americans, because you're all the same, no. I get crazy with people coming here and going, oh, I've done Lisbon, I've been to Lisbon, Lisbon's great, oh my God, Portugal's great, and they have no idea about the rest of the country. That makes me, that makes my blood boil.
0: But as a sort of famous Portuguese foodie, she's written a couple of books on the subject, what really gets to Lucy is...
1: Oh, the custard tart. Oh my God. Like I Really?
0: In case you missed it, this crispy tart filled with creamy custard, it's called a pastel de nata, is all over Instagrams from Lisbon.
1: Like the custard tart is such an invention. You've no idea. Like it's always been a thing. It's been going, I can tell you the history of the bloody thing. It's been a brand since 1837, just after the liberal wars, and they did away with the monasteries, and and the monks had to make a living, and they started to sell their hotcakes like hotcakes. Okay, they've always been there. But some bright spark, about 10, 15 years ago, decided to market this as the national cake. It's not the bloody national cake. It just isn't. Don't come here and tell me that it's the most important thing on your list to eat.
0: So, as you can hear, Lucy's something of a pistol. But a while back, 15 years ago to be exact, she was in a very different place. She was a very different Lucy.
1: I remember my 35th birthday, and I'd put on a lot of weight because of having given up smoking. I had my first grey hair, like monumentally significant, on my 35th birthday. And I realised that I'd given up. I'd just given up on life, just completely given up. And, and I didn't go, oh, I have to change. No, I just realized, I just accepted it, and I realized, oh, I've given up. It's, my life's finished now. It's just the kids. And it's not like I was being this dedicated mother. I was like, oh, I've done that now, and, well, I haven't got a job. I've got barely any work. I, you know, I'm in this, life. Oh, well, gave up. I had no control over anything in my life.
0: You know how when you get that very thing you thought you wanted, and then it sucks? That's sort of what happened to Lucy. What you're about to hear is the story of how Lucy realized this dream she'd had of moving to Portugal, but lost her sense of who she was along the way. And she found her way back gradually, bit by bit, by doing that thing we all know we should, but can't always manage, which is to be ourselves. When did you first know that you were an artist? When I was tiny, I was always drawing
1: on the walls, on the pillowcase, on the floor, everywhere, always drawing. And I was always not an artist. I was always an illustrator.
0: Lucy went to art school, and she made her first trip to Portugal in her last year. She filled sketchbooks with drawings of the Douro River Valley, which is this beautiful part of northern Portugal where there are all these vineyards on these steep cliffs lining the river.
1: We'd go up the river and work in the valleys and paint and things. And I just went, oh my God, this is amazing. I love this place. I just love this place. And I loved the sound of the language. Couldn't speak a word of it, but I it was one. And the Douro Valley is to me still the most beautiful place in the world
0: back in england she tried to make a go of it as an illustrator
1: my my dream job back then was to sit in a lovely little house in cambridge and making children's picture books
0: and then one day she met a man from portugal and she married him
1: how i met my husband there's now there hangs a tale um he used to be married to another member of my family got divorced and got not (laughs) together with me yeah it was very complicated, and very traumatic at the time. So, um, yeah.
0: Without getting into the details, let's just say Lucy's husband was married to her aunt when they first met. And so that made the beginning of their life together messy. Lucy and her husband moved to his hometown outside of Lisbon to raise a family. And right away, she kind of realized, mm, not what I was expecting. She was expecting... I don't know, beauty, picturesque towns like the one she'd seen in northern Portugal on that class trip. But her husband's home village, well, it wasn't like that. It was a drab suburb with concrete buildings and dusty streets. And she soon got this sense of what her life was going to be like there. Her husband's mother, oh yeah, there was a mother-in-law very much in the picture, kept pushing rice pudding on her. She hated rice pudding and what was more exasperating, explaining it to her as if it was some exotic dish that she'd never encountered back in England. No, she hated rice pudding in England too. So here's the picture. Lucy's tending to their two beautiful daughters while her husband builds his career as a prominent Portuguese historian. And on the face of it, that doesn't sound so bad, right? Okay, so maybe ugly town, you don't speak the language, you're expected to eat rice pudding, which you hate but you can deal, better than blood sausage or pig's feet, except, oh yeah, there was that too. But that wasn't the problem. It was that she felt isolated.
1: I mean, I literally knew almost nobody. I didn't know any other foreigners for the first few years. So I didn't have any of my own friends for a long time. Were you lonely? Really, oh, incredibly, because my husband was a complete workaholic and never saw him, he was always locked away. We didn't, never had a life, never had a life together. And so it was just me and the kids. And and lo, where we lived wasn't exactly where I was going to
0: find some friends. You know, there's like lots of suspicious old ladies who look at me. But hey, Lucy was resilient and resourceful. She taught herself Portuguese, learned how to cook traditional Portuguese foods. But despite her bravada, she knew deep down, something wasn't right.
1: When things have started under difficult circumstances, it's sometimes hard to see the wood for the trees. So I took a long time to, a very long time, to go, no, this isn't right.
0: And and why were you unhappy in the marriage?
1: Because I was on my own in it. I was no part, I wasn't a partner in it. It would be times when I'd be told that things, I was doing something wrong which were ridiculous like what i was wearing or what i was saying when on the other hand there would be no appreciation of something good that i was good at or doing or
0: when did you stop doing art
1: god it must have been i mean for most of the most of the 90s i mean christ I, yeah i basically didn't do anything but for 10 years
0: really Do you remember the first thing you did? Then after that,
1: I think it would have been my blog. I and mean, then when I first started, um, I drew a picture. I drew, I did a cartoon or something of something funny that had happened. And I went, oh, missed this.
0: You've got to think back. This was the early 2000s, remember that time? The internet was still new, email wasn't even that old, and the idea that you could write a blog and suddenly be in contact with all these people who might share your snarky view of the world, despite living in a small insular town in Portugal, where the old ladies in black shawls looked at you suspiciously while you bought your squid, well, that was bloody liberating. Sorry, I promised I wouldn't let myself do that even though I just love pretending to be British. But anyway, Lucy wrote her blog anonymously, so she didn't need to worry about what anybody would think. There's a real sense in which the internet saved Lucy's sanity.
1: Had the kids, was bored out of my tiny mind. Imagine, you know, what it's like with tiny kids, Jesus. It's so boring. And then I gave up smoking, and I had nothing to do, and I could fill my hours with, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to write a blog and draw a blog that takes the piss out of Portugal. And I would do that with all my spare hours. So I would write, and I did that for three years every single day. And that's where it all started, restarted. And what was the blog about? I started writing this thing about Portugal every day, taking an aspect of just what happened to me that day and would turn it into this kind of mini stupid Diatribe, as if I was one of these really stuck up English idiots who go, Oh, these Portuguese people are completely nuts. And I con- 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 created this persona called Vitriolica. I became infamous.
0: So, like, what's some of the things that you'd make fun of?
1: <laughs> so, fun is it so easy to make fun of, and that was the worst thing I ever did because I got
0: death threats, literally. Fado is like Portugal's version of the blues. It was made famous by this woman you hear now, Amalia
1: Rodriguez.
0: The Portuguese are very proud of their fado music. and They take it seriously when someone makes fun of it.
1: I wrote that um, Portugal goes around the country and finds its saddest people and puts them in a special school for sad people to learn how to sing (laughs) and it was a joke it was ridiculous and so they didn't like that
0: Lucy's blog connected her to a wider world and it led to other projects she started an online magazine she co-wrote a book about Portuguese food and she wrote an ironic memoir called How Not to Starve in Portugal and then right after her family moved to Lisbon something incredible happened Eurovision is an annual song contest in which each country has 12 points to vote for the winning performer.
1: I can't go on. I
0: can't go on. Portugal hadn't ever won, not since the contest started in 1964. They had the longest losing streak on record. The competition is a super slick production, filled with glossy pop stars, often accompanied by synchronized dancers. Portugal's contestants stood out. Salvador Sobral sang a sweet jazz ballad written by his sister. He was an impish 26-year-old singer with a top-knot ponytail and a jacket that looked like it was swallow him. He was waif-like, soulful, and suffering from health problems That would require a heart transplant six months later. He was the opposite of glamorous pop, the glitz of Eurovision. But Eurovision loved him. Sozinho, talvez a aprender. Our 12 points go to Portugal. Portugal, 12 points! The votes came in that night.
1: The 12 points from the Spanish jury go to... Portugal! 12 points from
0: France go to. Portugal! The unlikely became the inevitable. 12 points go to. Portugal! Portugal Portugal ended up winning with the highest vote count on record. Portugal, parabéns, congratulations! (laughs) When Lucy heard that Portugal had won, she couldn't have realized her life was about to change. Because winning the contest meant Portugal would host the competition the next year. And they'd need a native English speaker to write scripts and translate everything.
1: And then I got the call from an old boss. Did you want to come and um, be our English language um, script writer and things there? And I went, yes, (laughs) I didn't even flinch. I'll be there. Where do you want me? I'm just going to do it. And I thought, you know, it's going to be really boring, but it'll be a bit of money and it'll be a job and it'll be interesting and I'll get to meet a few other people and stuff. Oh, my God, I couldn't have been more wrong.
0: Like a lot of extroverts, Lucy can actually be quite shy in new situations. But she made a conscious decision not to play it safe by putting on the nice-girl persona she thought was expected of her.
1: No bollocks to that. I'm just going to be me. And I, from the first day, I was just me. I got there and was instantly adopted by the people who were there. Just instantly adopted. That's never happened to me, especially in this country. It's very hard. We were literally working like 16- or 18-hour days for the last month. And we, the photographs of us are hilarious because we look like corpses, it's such an intense process it's so intense and mad that you just become family
0: that year changed lucy's life because eurovision had reminded lucy of who she was that people actually liked who she was
1: and that gave me this kind of oh my god because in my life of solitude and my marriage and being stuck in a village for a long time and all the things i'd lost my confidence A month after I left Eurovision, I left home.
0: When we first met, I asked Lucy why she'd left her husband, and she told me a story that stuck in my mind. She was in a bookstore with her husband, and she came across a book that he'd been looking for for months. She called across the room, here's that book you want. And her husband glowered at her, was embarrassed by her outburst. He shushed her. Listening to Lucy, you can imagine how many times that kind of thing happened. It wore her down.
1: And I'd rather be on my own, under my own conditions, than be on my own and under somebody else's conditions and rules and bad tempers. (laughs) But now I'm back out and I actually have having to restart my life from scratch because I had to leave the marriage with nothing. So it's quite, it's quite scary. But it's not that scary. Some people say, oh, you're so brave. And I'm like, no, I'd have been braver to stay. I'm not brave. I'm just,
0: you know, just hanging out. <laughs> um, <coughs> what do you mean when you say it would have been braver to stay?
1: Because I think bravery is doing something that you really don't want to do. It would have been braver to suck it up and keep going.
0: But she couldn't do that anymore. She felt this sense of urgency. This has got to happen
1: now. Also, now or never, because of, because I'm getting old. <laughs> like, I'm going to be 50 soon, and it I know it doesn't it shouldn't make a difference, but it damn well does. And not in terms of finding a new husband or boyfriend or anything. No, in terms of work, because I had these fresh connections and this fresh energy and this fresh life. I'm like, no, got to go.
0: sounds like you kind of have rediscovered your essential self yeah. that you had kind of lost yeah. for a while. Yeah, Totally.
1: I always found it a bit sad. I'd, I'd, I'd find myself explaining that core self to people of trying to tell people that I was funny and fun and, and because to say I wasn't allowed is too strong but it was too difficult and so when you hear yourself telling people that you used to be fun it's tragic. No! Sod that!
0: Lizzie's kids were grown by this time. They knew she was unhappy. They were like, Mom, you've got to do this. So a year ago, she moved into her own apartment, and she now works full-time as a motion graphics animator.
1: I have to make a catalogue one day of all the work I've done, which is all, you know, lots of pretty things, and then lots of things being decapitated. (laughs) a lot of bunnies that have been decapitated over the years. yes (laughs) yes
0: <laughs> so. Lucy's gotten a chance to start over to create a new life and she knows what she wants which is finally to be immersed in her work
1: Now I can work for 24 hours a day if I want to and sleep for 24 hours a day if I want to it's, very, it's a very odd feeling it's a, nice, it's a very nice feeling, I just feel like me again
0: But one thing she doesn't want
1: I can't conceive of being a grown-up, you know? I very much relate to that. I don't understand it. I don't get being a grown up. Because I can't I I do know people who are grown ups. Why have they done that? What's the point in growing up? Really? So dull.
0: Like a lot of us, Lucy feels much younger, freer, hungrier for adventure than the image she had of what people were like at 50.
1: A 50-year-old 50 woman when I was growing up was, was like, you know, coming to the end of her career and was like getting into going to be a granny and all of that stuff, you know? Um, so 50 to me was terrifying.
0: And if being grown up means losing that sense of fun and humor and playfulness that makes Lucy, Lucy, well, she's not having it.
1: It really doesn't matter what age I am because nobody would look at me and go, she's a typical 50 year old. And I'm not even, and I don't mean in terms of my looks or, you know, my lack of gray hair. Your comportment. Yeah, it's my comportment, exactly. (laughs) Exactly, I'm just an art. I'm literally just a 17 year old in an older body.
0: Recently, Lucy came across one of her sketchpads from that trip to the Dora River Valley. And to her surprise, she saw a note she'd written on the back page.
1: And what does it say? It says, I'm going to live here one day.
0: It took a long time, but all these years later, Lucy has found her way home. She may not be a grown-up, but she has grown up. And she may not think she's brave, but as E.E. Cummings wrote, it takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. So thinking back to when you you had that memory of turning 35 and just sort of yeah. feeling like, nah, I'm done. Um, what do you think that 35 year old woman would think about where you are now? She'd think, oh, thank
1: God you did that. Thank God you came back.
0: This episode of Midway was produced by me, Barbara Paulson, with music from Blue Dot Sessions. If you like the show, I hope you'll tell your friends about it, and maybe even leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be talking to you in the next episode. Till then, take care. I thought you were incandescent. I thought you were